0: Welcome back to Tales of the Resistance, a podcast about resistance for microbes. Um, As always, I'm Mara Zeltz, the project manager with the I Am Responsible team, and I'm going to be joined today on the
1: podcast by the glorious Amber Patterson. Hello, I'm Amber Patterson. I'm the multimedia graphic designer for the Schmidt Lab and the I Am Responsible team, and I'm excited to be here. And and equally glorious, uh,
0: coming back again in the guest chair is Noelle Atieno More.
2: Hi, my name is Noelle Atieno More, as introduced. And I'm a recent doctoral graduate from the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, uh, where I majored in environmental engineering and studied antimicrobial resistance for my dissertation.
0: And thanks for coming back again, Noelle, and as always, for being here, Amber. Um, We're continuing our series um, exploring the book, uh, Quarantine Life from Cholera to COVID-19 by Kari Nixon. Um, And we're going to be starting today's discussion with chapter six. But before we do, since we're now basically halfway through the story, I thought we could take just a moment to um share if you had any thoughts or reflections on what we've learned uh to this point
1: i'm just really enjoying the book um more than i even thought i would
0: yeah and i i think a lot of it is even if if we were sort of familiar with these um events the historical events that she is talking about um I think that the one of the real values of the book so far has been um, taking all of those events out of the sort of context of medical history that I think we learned them in and, and thinking about it with sort of the eyes of the people living through them. And that has been insightful in terms of, you know, because it it, it allows for, more evident or more obvious, I think, application to our own experience out of it in terms of how we deal with infectious disease is a totally different lens and, and very, I think, helpful um, for the time we're living in, but also for going forward on antimicrobial resistance.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. So I'm really excited to talk about chapter six because I found it fascinating. There starts with three lessons. Lesson 16, panseas are predictable. Lesson 17, science is not a saint. Lesson 18, there is no real world except what we make. And this chapter talks about sanitation in Victorian times and kind of the beginning of selective surgery with uh, anesthesia being available she talks about a woman who's in, who's elected to have her gallbladder removed and who's being, her abdomen is open and being sprayed with carbolic acid.
0: She's alluded to this before in talking about how um, people got this idea that sanitation was good, so more sanitation is better. And this is the sort of, Uh, the exploration of of how that manifested in Victorian life, all of the the ways that they tried to sanitize themselves and the world around them in ways that were actually quite harmful. And then from that, we have these three lessons. So uh, the first one, panaceas are predictable. Uh, I think Dr. Nixon's uh, main takeaway point here was basically that people uh, once they had identified that you know their enemy was alive, um, and then they went to this extreme of sanitation, um, which seems ludicrous to us, but in in a sense you could have predicted that you know this, uh, hum- the human uh, desire to um, to survive, uh, the search for the wonder cure, um, those those were true then and they're certainly true now.
1: Yeah, I think that's evident in the surge of sanitizer sales and people drinking bleach to combat the coronavirus. I think this frame of thinking will always be, unfortunately. If we think we can kill it, we're going to, with our best effort, try to kill it. That's not always the most prudent
2: I think one thing that caught me in this lesson uh, is uh, how she states that the society only understand a few facts about the pathogens that are killing them. And uh, I'm just trying to tie this down to antimicrobial resistance and uh, how uh, mostly uh, the misinformation of antibiotics, how people use antibiotics for any diseases, Even if it's a flu, people will still be described for antibiotics. And so, and that's because they don't know the facts about these pathogens. Antibiotics are only legible to be used against disease causing bacteria, right? But if you're using them for a viral infection, that's because you do not know the facts about these pathogens. And so, uh, and also how, with the society, how they're confident that they can defeat their force, I mean, their enemies. I guess that just goes back to the jam theory, like, yeah, um, like drinking bleach, uh, it's predictable that, oh, it's a virus. So if you drink bleach, you're gonna kill the virus. So this chapter highly resonates to not only the coronavirus pandemic, but also uh, the misuse of antimicrobial resistance just because of not knowing the facts behind these pathogens we'll see.
0: Anytime we have to try to communicate nuance it's a struggle and that's something we definitely saw early in often COVID you know like and especially since antimicrobial resistance like you said Noelle we're still discovering so many things about so there is all these gradations of things we know for sure or things that we're sort of learning but the science is developing and how do you communicate on all of these Mm -hmm. things in a way that maintains trust. I guess this is probably getting actually into the next section here, um, which is all about this. Uh, Science is not a saint. So um, in this section, she gets into, um, you know, using this, the experience of the Victorians and a lot of times moving, the people had sort of moved um, to treat or or at least behave as though they thought of science as a sort of replacement for faith they um valorized it they um didn't understand i guess that science as a discipline it's human it is produced by humans within uh, a, a societal context you know and if you take it out and you try and make it uh, this this thing that rises above all and it's perfect and and pristine, then you both stand to misunderstand it. And when it ultimately has nuance and confusion and mistakes, which it will, then you destroy your faith in it like you would in, well, in faith, you know, in religion.
2: Uh, I mean, as a researcher, I don't, as a researcher, this uh, lesson was quite to the neck, I would say, because, you know, how we have our research question, and then we do lab work to identify whatever research question you're trying to answer, and then have uh, reports of what our findings are. Basically, the scientific agenda has to end at some point, and Eventually, after all that time in the lab, there is one article that says, this is what we did and this is what we found. Uh, But the actual answer is behind the lab bench, which is not mostly considered. And that's only summarized in, say, 15 lines of the method section. We do have to look at the entire picture, but not just what was the actual research question, because everyone has their own agenda when it comes to uh, what question they're trying to answer. The
0: importance Uh of the actual conduction of the science is uh, super vital that people understand how it goes because it is experimental in nature. People don't really know what's going to happen. That's why they do the experiment. And things go wrong. Things go right. Things are things happen that we're not sure why. A lot of that, I mean, you include those things in when you're writing the paper, but sometimes people reading the paper don't pick up on it because you know that it's all in scientific lingo and and maybe it's been sort of sanded down a little bit or or just like uh, in some kind of footnote or or something. But it's important scientific literacy needs to focus almost more on teaching people the process of how scientific facts are developed because you if you don't know how messy it is then this kind of response this science is a saint response it it just happens over and over and over again and we're always going to be fighting against the Lack of trust that will ultimately occur once science as a saint, science as your sort of mechanism of your faith and worldview, lets you down in some way, um, which will happen because it's being conducted by people who who may set up the exact same experiment and find different things. That's so kind of the the nature of the beast, you know. We, we do it over and over and over again until who have conclusive results. One study does not, it's not the end of the research.
1: Yeah, I think what really was brought to mind for me was that, like you were saying, when the faith falters because of an inconclusive study or whatever the case may be, like with coronavirus, the terms of the vaccination changing and, and that we needed another one. And and then a booster and people getting very upset, the public no longer trusting our scientists. And it made me think about AMR and how how challenging it is to communicate what AMR is and what, what best practices are. And the fact that if there's no grace, there's no room. And I use the word grace intentionally, like if, if we don't leave room for scientists to discover and public opinion is, that you have to be right the first time out the gate and that cannot falter. It just makes it that much more complex and that much harder to to do the the best work a scientist can do.
2: Okay. And also like to to the same point, um, I think Dr. Nixon also puts this in italics in her book, uh, best of one of our favorite books that the science is produced by people and human is to error, first of all by people with bodies situated in time, space, culture, and society and struggling for credibility and authority. So whatever is being put out there, just remember that uh, it's people who are doing the science and just given that there may be cases where the rules have to be changed. Like we need a booster vaccine to help uh, still fight the coronavirus. We need uh, to understand that even for say antimicrobial resistance, there is naturally occurring antimicrobial resistance because of the presence of antibiotics naturally. And therefore that can also dictate on the human influences to antimicrobial resistance. And so like uh, considering multiple factors and identifying that this is not the true end, like research is a process. And so whatever scientific evidence comes out, it may change over time. And that's just how science is based.
0: There is no research paper that I have ever read that doesn't include some sort of what comes next uh, discussion. There's always uh, a building. It always builds one to the other. Uh, You never completely answer every question related to the topic in that research paper. So you answer one little thing or you've clarified one little nuance, and then you go to the next thing, or you find that you need to expand the question a little bit more, and you rerun the study, it's always building, you know, never, they never end the thing with, this is what we found, period. It's always, this is what we found, but we still need to know. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's sort of the nature of the, the beast.
2: And I guess also that leads us to our next lesson. The eighteenth lesson from Dr. Nixon's book uh, talks about there is no real world except what we make. And uh, in here, she tries and uh, differentiate to differentiate a fact from truth. And just from a whole perspective, she kind of says that a fact is wholesome and you kind of consider how the facts do come about. However, the truth is an interpretation of the world as we see it. And so everyone has their own perception to what is factual and what is true. And also she tries to say that what we see is what we find in a way, like we look for what we want and eventually that's what we will see. And this kind of just sums back down to how research works
0: yeah, it it does real. It obviously it matters that last statement. Um, what you we see depends on what we looked for. It's super important in contextualizing any scientific discovery. Um, and I, I actually kind of liked um, what she said in here about, you know, we're we're sort of a composite of. Of things, we're we're sort of our observations of the physical world, our interpretations or our brains, but we're also feelings. You know, that's sort of informed by our values, in in terms of our terp- in terms of our interpretation of what we see, and those things, those the feelings uh, and thoughts and things, those are all real things. And so, a lot of times, I we we get into the, I think, a trap to sort of discount someone's feelings or, uh, well, I think she's, she uses the word truth throughout the, this section, discount someone else's truth because it's not quote unquote factual, but those are real things, real experiences, um, someone's pain or someone's feelings. So they may not um, always align to ours, but we have to kind of consider them at least as something that we're going to be uh, dealing with in in a communication standpoint, if nothing else.
2: I do like this lesson also, uh, and Mara, you've kind of touched the it, where she brings in uh, how everyone's feelings are valid. And she brings about the discussion on mental health, uh, depression, and anxiety, and just tying that down with Uh, It may not be a physical ailment, but even mental health is an actual illness and should be taken as such and should be validated for such.
0: Yeah. And we, because we talk a lot about all of these sort of infectious diseases, you know, and and antimicrobial resistance is an infectious, uh, not an infectious disease in of itself, but The sort of microbial uh, property that can impact how infectious disease behaves. But, um, you know, the the mental components of not just having disease, but experiencing a world with increasing disease, those are also going to be things that we deal with. And, well, that uh, closes up our uh, discussion of Chapter 6. Some big overall thoughts are coming out of this chapter. So, and and lots to think about for our own work within antimicrobial resistance in the years to come so well that brings us to the end uh we will begin again next time with chapter seven appreciate you guys being here today and we'll talk to everybody again soon
1: thank you mara thanks mara You're the best. I know. (laughs) Awesome.
0: (laughs) And that's something that will definitely stay in the podcast. No, just kidding. (laughs)